This episode of The Impulse Form is brought to you in part by mastermind sponsor, Coach Chris Cachera. Discover Coach Chris's Regenesis 360, a lifestyle concierge center located in Pismo Beach, California. Visit Regenesis360.com to sign up for a complimentary ARX resistance training session. That's Regenesis360.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Impulse Forum where imagination, education, and inspiration meet to create enterprise. What is the pulse? The pulse is the burst of imagination combined with the creative drive to pursue your true purpose. This is the Impulse Director and your host, Kevin Colton. As you listen, consider these four things. Number one, observe. Observe each guest. What are their gifts, their interests, their talents and skills? And also the character traits that make them stand out and set them apart. Number two, identify. Identify your own interests and gifts and skills and talents. What resonates with you as you listen to each speaker? Number three, engage. Engage your community. What are the opportunities and local programs available to connect with people of like minds and similar interests and passions as yourself? Those who will help you develop your skills as you pursue your goals. Remember, your dreams are interdependent with those who have gone before you. And number four, pursue the pulse. Take the next step to invest and develop your gifts and talents into marketable skills. Pursue the pulse today. Good afternoon and all other times to all our fellow impulse chasers. Uh, today, we have a true influencer on the Central Coast. And actually, if you have a GPS in your phone, someone who has impacted your life globally, she was a program manager at Magnavox in the 1970s, designing the parachute navigation system for special forces, dropping um, parachutists out at 50,000 feet in the, in the dark and helping them navigate their landings. So um, she was also an entrepreneur and a franchise owner. She has uh, recently been the, the co-chair and is now the lead trainer and assistant administrator for SCORE, which is a network of volunteer mentors for small business, which is free, provided free. So that is why we are so glad to have Miss Carol Kerwin on the program. Welcome to the Impulse Forum, Carol. Thank you, Kevin. Nice to be here. So um, just to provide a little background, we've had, uh, I've known Carol for several years. We have had her as a guest speaker and an Impulse speaker at our live events at Napomo High School, um, New Tech High School here in Napomo, uh, Rigetti, 
And she has just been a, a wonderful uh, speaker for us, and she has been inspiring to me and to the other speakers, actually, and for the kids. To have a resource like this for our students on the Central Coast, I'm just so glad you've to be able to interview you and to get more of your stories, spend time with you, and to hear more of these uh, fascinating stories and to um, reach more people, actually. So thank you, thank you so much for being here, Carol. Glad to be here. So um, let's start. Uh, what were your what what were some of the defining uh, moments in your youth and your teenage years that really um, were you kind of awakened to the idea that you had this talent, these gifts that would move you to become an engineer? That's sort of an interesting question for me because it caused me to think back into some of the things that uh, started me off on my career and also should have been warning signals because I I surfed as a young uh, teenager and I surfed in Redondo Beach in the late 50s and early 60s and the young men who were out there surfing did not want any young women out there. So I had to learn to surf in the outer fringes of the waves because uh, otherwise they'd run me over. So that should have been a hint that maybe women and girls weren't always uh, wanted everywhere. But what the next step was my father sitting me down at the table when I was a junior in high school and saying, all right, what kind of an engineer do you want to be? Gee, do you think he had a plan for me? He certainly did. So uh, we talked through whether I would be appropriate for mechanical engineering. And having worked with him in his home shop, uh, he soon figured out that I was not very mechanical. He was himself in aeronautical engineering and knew that that area had ups and downs. So he said, hmm, I don't think you ought to think about aeronautical. How about electrical? And I said, well, I did put together a radio kit that you gave me a long time ago. Okay, if it takes a lot of math, which I'm good at, let's do it. So that was a, a big decision point. So I applied to a number of colleges, was accepted at USC, and uh, went there for a year and a half during the time when they had a number of young men from foreign countries there. And those particular foreign countries uh, not only didn't particularly want women around them, but also thought that women of that age were most likely either married or not, uh, not appropriate females. And so I don't... Can I use the word whore on this? Sure. I can. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. They thought you, they were just assumed you were whore. They, so they they assumed, these the young men that were uh, at the college assumed that I was a whore and therefore available for rubbing up against touching and this sort of thing. I had never done, I'd never fig, found that in my life before. The people that I knew didn't behave that way. And I also didn't understand that there weren't other girls, other women in engineering. I was the only one. 
in all of my classes. So it was it was a scary time. I and was how also, old were you when you entered I was, college? Okay, that's true. It's, uh, I was 16 oh, gosh, when yeah. I went to college. So, so man, I so was very, very immature and lots of culture shock, yes. Wow. And so uh, in all honesty, I, I came very close to failing out and left before that uh, hammer came down and then had to sit back, and I did not sit back long and say, do I really want to be an engineer? And uh, chose that, yes, I did. So I went to El Camino Junior College, got my Associate of Art or Associate of Science degree, and then on to Cal State Long Beach. Took me eight years to get through college. I worked the whole time uh, except for the first year and a half. My father withdrew the financial support once I left college for the first time. He said, you're never going to be an engineer. And so I went out, got the job, and kept on going. So that uh, that negative comment spurred you on? Oh, yes. Nobody tells me I can't do something. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. I'm not going to take that. Well, that's a great... Uh, <sighs> some insight into your story because I was thinking, having heard your story later on, like what were some of the challenges or the, or the ups and downs that really were, gave you the strength for later challenges. And that's pretty fascinating. So, um, let's see. So you were, went to school, you, you graduated after eight years. So when did you, how did it work into your, your first engineering position? Ah, I started out um, in the library system in the county and uh, eventually uh, saw an advertisement from Garrett Air Research for an engineering aid. And I said, well, engineering aid, I'm going in engineering, I'll apply for it. And it turned out to be a, a fun three years working with them, figuring out um, or actually printing out engine statistics, where we run simulations on engines and uh, see what how they would perform under different uh, conditions. So uh, about that time, um, I was at Cal State Long Beach, and my teacher there uh, was a teacher in logic design, and he worked at Hughes Aircraft. So he saw that I was very adept logic design, and I just clicked. It's math on steroids, and I loved it. I really did. So he thought, well, this is a pretty smart logic designer, and we need logic designers at Hughes. So he fought with them because they weren't sure they wanted to hire a woman to have me be hired. In fact, they were so concerned about hiring a woman that they said, uh, if I, if anything I did in the laboratory caused men to stop working, I would be fired. So I learned very quickly to wear very quiet outfits, nothing suggestive, uh, to to modify my walk so there wasn't a wiggle anywhere, and not to smile at anybody. And this is a person who. I'm basically a very cheerful, friendly person. So it was a big personality change to to accommodate myself to the rules. But now, it was so, fun. It was, <laughs> sort of. So your boss, and what, what year would this been, have been? Let me think. Um, 70, no, let's see, I hired in 69. So 68, 69. Wow. 
So your boss was able to say to you, you're going to be fired if the men are distracted. Correct. Correct. And you know, I changed. They they <laughs> they have. Uh, but the other sad thing was the women on the wiring line who were uh, unionized would uh, uh, make um, what is the word? They would they would claim as that I was not uh, operating under union rules, even though there were two of us, there might be two of us walking through the factory together, both holding circuit boards, going to our job, and I would be the one that got the union grievance. My boss at the time said he had never had so many union grievances in his life, and it was fellow women. Oh, kind of throwing you under the bus. Yeah, throwing me under the bus, yes. Because you weren't union or because you were just... Because up, I was a, a female position? engineer, yes. Wow. It was... So you're getting challenges from both, sides, both directions. Both sides. <laughs> wow. I actually challenged one man who was misbehaving uh, to a, a fight in a ring because I felt I could knock his clock off, and I threatened him. I said, you keep doing this, and you and I are going to meet in the parking lot. And he quit. Oh. So I fought back sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the wild, wild west of... <laughs> it was. Of, uh, <laughs> it was. White-collar jobs. Oh, my gosh. See, I, I don't think um, that history is readily available... Uh, for the average teenage girl to just go, this is this is what went before. This is what it was like to have a job. Like you had to fight for it. You had to fight for it every day. That that is correct, and that was why the move to Magnavox was such a joy, because they had always had women in engineering positions. Now they were mostly software people. They weren't hardware people like I was, but they were used to the women making important contributions to GPS in this case. And so when I came in, they just assumed immediately that what I had to say uh, was important. So I I loved Magnavox. I just I just thrived there. And so, how, what was the year that you started working with them, and how long did you work with? I for let's them? see. I worked at Hughes for almost 11 years, and then I worked at Magnavox for nine. So I, I don't move around easily. So at those jobs, um, with all these challenges, how did you find, uh, what was your support network? What was your way of um, being encouraged? Uh, you know, how did that work for you? I think I had more support at Magnavox, but I would like to call out that I met my husband um, at Hughes, and we uh, we formed a relationship, and he actually honed my presentation skills. He said, if you're going to move up and be listened to, you need to do a really good job at presenting what you um, what you're talking about, you know, making it understandable to the people that are out there, and to this day, I use those skills in my training at, at uh, in SCORE. So that was that was an important person. And, and we're talking about uh, the famous Bob Kerwin. The famous Bob <laughs> Kerwin, the, the very special Bob Kerwin. When I 
but I didn't find a lot of people at Hughes that were support network. Of course, my teacher was still there, um, and um, his partner in a, an eventual business venture um, was also very supportive of me. So when I left and went to Magnavox, I didn't quite know what I'd find. And there were other women at Magnavox that were friends. And, and you know, we, we met outside of Magnavox. We, we worked on the management committee at Magnavox. We, we really bonded. And, and I think I, I started to blossom as far as community service. And to this day, that's a, that's a part of my life, an important part of my life. But I think that spending time with other women was a real pleasure. And so this network of, of other uh, w- women, female engineers, was a resource. What other mentor figures were in your life at this time? So your husband, Bob, and uh, made a huge impact, these ladies. So oh, I think what happened was because I was out in the community, I began to broaden the kind of people that I knew. You know, when I, I joined Seroptimus, I was uh, on a committee to fundraise for a, a local hospital, and then I uh, was asked to be on a uh, ethics committee at another local hospital because of the people that I met at the first hospital. So those I I began to realize that I didn't have to just be an engineer, that I had other skills, uh, inventiveness, uh, the ability to talk, to give presentations, were all a part of that growth because I met other people who expected different things from me and certainly didn't want to fail. So let's talk about this this parachute navigation system that you were a part of designing and um, bringing to life. For an average person like me who doesn't really understand, talk about how the GPS was already in place and how you moved it forward and this whole story. The parachute navigation system was a very specific product of GPS. We'd already had systems that could navigate ships. We, in fact, my early jobs at Hughes were figuring out how best to integrate GPS into aircraft carriers, into helicopters, into um, army jeeps, that sort of thing, because the capability to know where you are and to have other people know where you are because GPS uh, eventually became able to talk to other GPS sets so you could get information about where different troops were and that sort of thing. But that ability to know where you are is just priceless, and especially when you're out in the parts of the world you don't know much about. So the, the parachute navigation people had an extra problem in that they were virtually always working in the dark, if they weren't in the dark because of the time of day, they were in the dark because they were so far up uh, being released from the planes that were flying them. And so they they had to figure out and be at a certain place at a certain time. And before they had been using, um, you know, the some of the 
things that airplanes had used for navigation, you know, and they had also been using compasses. And so when they jumped out of planes in the dark, here they are, can't see anything, <laughs> but the little GPS set that we designed would actually give them arrows. They would put in where they wanted to go by latitude and longitude. So the GPS set said, okay, this is where you want to go, and I know where you are right now, and we were able to give them signals up, down, left, right, and that sort of thing. One of the things we couldn't do was tell them if there was a tree or a building in the way. So some of the people I met, I met in broom closets in the, in the Pentagon, but um, they were pretty banged up because they kept running in trees. I hope they have some better way of handling that now, but that was that was a, a drawback of any kind of. I mean, they they had that problem whether we had GPS or not. But and so you are placing the GPS on the parachutist. Correct. They're harnessed in. And there's a great picture that we'll put in the post of this box that's that's on the body of the parachutist as he's uh, dropping out of the plane. And then you would triangulate, right? Am I saying that right? That you have got somebody in the Jeep on the ground or somebody, no? No, what you do is the GPS, There's if you have three satellites, you know where you are. Okay. Up, down, left, right, how high, and that sort of thing. So the GPS knows exactly where you are in space. It doesn't necessarily know you're sitting on the earth, but it knows exactly where you are, your height and your latitude and your longitude, because we translate it into that. And so it knows where you are, and it's able to point you to where you want to go, because you're, it's being told you want to go to this latitude, longitude, and height. So it's, it's And you have the parachute navigation system strapped to your body, so it's orienting you properly. You know, it's not if it were flopping where, around. Where you need to go. That's right. And so, guiding you, that guiding the the parachutist to the pers- uh, the right location Correct. on the ground. Correct. At this time, we'd like to take a moment to introduce our listeners to a new local business and welcome our new monthly mentor sponsor, Mike Lemming of Mike's Record Rack. We are continuing to celebrate with them their recent grand opening located at 201 West Grand Avenue in Grover Beach, California. With a wide selection of new and vintage vinyl, CDs, and tapes, this local music sanctuary is becoming a new favorite of mine. Learn more at mikesrecordrackgb.com. That's mikesrecordrackgb.com. But there were people on the ground in this process. I I think I'm I think that's what you shared in your event, that you guys would be on the ground w- waiting for them or... Because we were in test. Right. And, and exactly. watching for them. Right. Yes. And it was fun. And that's when they would run into a tree accidentally or... That was, well, the, we, we, were, we were out in... Um, it would be at night too, right? Right, right. Well, it was whenever the satellites were above, because at that time there weren't satellites everywhere. Oh, so sometimes you did testing during the day, and sometimes you did it two a.m. in the morning. It was, wow. you know, because you wanted you wanted to be wherever the satellites were. And we were out in Yuma, and we we picked very deserty, no treeless, buildingless areas for them to, to navigate oh, to. Okay. Yes, we did. <laughs> as as safe as you could make something yes. as extraordinarily. <laughs> 
challenging and and scary and and uh, amazing as as all of that is. So you did this for, and at what point were you like, it's time to uh, do something different? Like what led to the decision oh. to to leave Magnavox or you you finished this project and then moved on or? How, finished, finished the project. Um, and uh, at the same time, I went back, Bob and I both together went back to Pepperdine to get our MBAs. And uh, I learned from doing that that business in general was of interest to me. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to run a business. And we decided early on that one of us would stay and have a have a regular income, and the other one would go out and start a business. And I looked for businesses that would give me control of the of. I wanted to manufacture something. I knew that because I'd been in uh, the process of manufacturing things before. So I looked for a franchise because I wanted that feeling of uh, someone else being able to tell me what to do as far as the, the nuts and bolts of the business. So I looked for a franchise. I, I looked at Burger Kings and, you know, battery manufacturing, but decided on printing because I felt that printing was something that could use my inventiveness, could use my sales ability, and would let me work all the way through from beginning to end. I will tell you, though, that I started out as a franchisee and found that there are some drawbacks to being a franchisee in in many franchise cases, and that is they have very strong control over your marketing, and if they don't understand your market, that's a problem. And so you're a franchisee, you were a franchisee in California. Correct. And the headquarters is in? Michigan. Different very markets. different uh, people, very different. You know, in, in Michigan, it seemed like there were, or at least what they understood was that most of the buying decisions, printing buying decisions, were made by the secretary. And, you know, let's get business cards, let's get letterhead, that sort of thing. Well, I wanted more interesting kinds of jobs. And so I wanted to talk to the head of, of marketing or the head of the company, depending on how big the company was, so that we could talk over ideas to help that company grow. And, you know, to this day, that's something that, that sticks with me in SCORE is that I want the people that I meet to be successful and their businesses to grow. Didn't think about that till just now. <laughs> So what year is this when you opened up your business? And was this in California? What part of California were you in? Ah, in Inglewood, California. Inglewood. And there was some deliberation about that. I wanted to be where it looked like there would be a lot of businesses around for me to... And if you think about Inglewood, California, and especially Imperial Highway, Century Boulevard, those kind of areas... um, Lots of lots of businesses and freight forwarders and uh, manufacturers and so it was it would look like it would be fertile ground, absolutely fertile ground. So uh, did start in Inglewood and another part of the deliberateness was that I knew that the people that I would be employing since I was in Inglewood, would most likely not be super well-educated, would not be highly technical people. And printing really doesn't 
pull that kind of person in. So we very carefully, Bob, Bob actually wrote the software for my, uh, to price the printing jobs because there was no software available for a Mac. And I said, why am I going to buy two computers, one to do the graphic design and one to do the, you know, the pricing of the job? So he wrote the software to actually do all the pricing of the job, what kind of paper it took and how fast it would go through the press and what kind of ink you would you be using. So, I mean, a very precise pricing, I want you to know. But we also used Macs because I knew that the people I would be hiring would be needing not to spend a lot of technical time on the computer. They just wanted to plug and play. They just wanted to. So very deliberate in my choice of um, equipment. You're talking about Macs of late 80s? Let me think. Uh, 87. 87. Yep, late Mm. 7, late 80s. Okay. And so you, how long did you have this business? Or you, you had it as a franchisee and then you got out of that but still stayed mm-hmm. in printing? Yeah, I stayed in printing, uh, changed the name of the company, sued the franchisor to get out because there was a contract, um, and changed the name and stayed in until 1999 when I put it on the market and uh, the best person bidding on the company was my chief competitor. (laughs) And interesting enough, I didn't realize it at the time. He didn't want my equipment. He just wanted my customers because I had a lot. I had customers that had been with me for 13 years, the whole time I'd had the company. Wow. And so he bought the business from you. He bought the business. And then... What was next for Carol Kerwin at that point? Ah. You, you sell, you're, you've, you've, you've designed <laughs> this pivotal role in the GPS and you've had this successful business. Did you take a break? or Not for very long because the technical world came back in too because something I didn't say was one of my skills in high school was English. And um, we knew some people who had started a company where uh, it was highly technical, but a lot of foreigners were doing the design, and they needed to patent those designs. And the foreigners would kind of put down in their words what the device did, and then I would take it with Bob's help and turn it into pros that the patent attorneys loved because it was clear it was guys. Fortunately, Bob understood the technical end of it. So we worked together as a pair. Bob would say, okay, well, this is what this part of the circuitry does. And and I would turn it into pros. It was fun. So uh, we worked in patents. And then um, let me think. And then I became a bookkeeper at a winery just to keep my fingers in. And plus, I love wine. So that was fun. That's actually where we met was at a mixer and we were talking wine. Is that, that right? I, yeah. When you guys first moved here to Santa Maria, I think we it was at a mixer at, at a winery way out um, t- towards Fo- um, oh, um, Sisquoc. Sisquoc. It's, it's oh, on the way out there. Sisquoc, maybe? Yes. Yeah, somewhere out. It was a winery okay. out there by there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't remember I just, that. I, when you said that, I just I, I You just flashed remember. on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been a score mentor? I have been a score mentor 13 years. I am the longest current practicing, Bob and I both, uh, mentoring score, a person that mentors. Uh, 
did you do that while you were a bookkeeper? I or, did. Okay, I so did. you guys got involved in that as you were still but still bookkeeping. Yeah, yes, still active, still um, in your jobs, and but you also started doing the score now, on the side. Now I have to I have to fess up that being a bookkeeper for this particular winery was not a full time job. Oh, okay. it was Fridays. Friday was in, and then it became Mondays and Fridays because they got bigger, and pretty soon I thought, you know, I, I really want to retire again, and I want to spend more time at SCORE because I just find SCORE so fascinating. Again, investing in business owners to see them succeed. Absolutely, and to find what ideas are out there. Business starters are endlessly inventive, they are just, you know, you say, what kind of business are you going to... Wait, you never do that. You never say, what kind of business? You say, well, tell me more about this business. And as you're listening, you're thinking, well, that's really cool. I never thought about making that a business. So, uh, I, you know, there's the, there's the regular kinds of people that are starting you know, a restaurant or something like that. But even those people have a twist. And we we encourage a twist. You know, it's a uh, called a USP. It's a universal selling position where you what is different about you than the business that the, the other businesses that would compete with you. We we push that a lot. So we like to ask our guests uh, current events. Um, we just went through a worldwide pand pandemic and. Uh, shut down. How did uh, you and Bob um, pivot? How did you work around it? How how did SCORE adjust and adapt and uh, the challenges um, that none of us could foresee coming in, in that sense? Um, how, did, how did you guys work your way through that? A couple of things that were of interest at that time. First of all, we had been talking in SCORE about virtual mentoring. We hadn't implemented it, but we talked about it, and we talked about it, and we talked about it. And then COVID hit, and suddenly we couldn't talk about it anymore. We had to do it. In two weeks, we pivoted in SCORE from being in-person mentoring to uh, mentoring with Zoom and, you know, figured out some of the rules. You know, you needed to be properly dressed from the waist up at least. You know, <laughs> you need not to have your chair bouncing back and forth. You need to, what's a green screen? You know, how do you, what do you do about the background behind you? What do you do about the barking dogs and those sorts of things? So we learned and we pivoted and we've been uh, Zooming now for a year and a half, easily, easily. The other thing that happened in SCORE was that the government decided to put out loans for all these businesses that are hurting. And they came in a couple of um, types. Uh, there was the PPP loans, which if you got them, you, you were expected to make, basically keep your employees employed and um, keep your business operational. They weren't for you to go out and buy a Mercedes or something like that. They, and if you did that, if you, if you properly used the funds, you would be able to uh, have them forgiven. 
And then they also came out with low-cost loans um, that were 3%, 3.5%, I think, called idle loans. And those were available and people could borrow. And 3.5% when the growing rate 6 and 7% is a, great, is a great deal. So there were these loans available, but we knew nothing about them. And whenever anybody called the SBA, they said, go to SCORE. And so we had to learn very quickly, and we had two mentors in the chapter that went out and spent their time understanding, talking to people, talking to people at the SBA that really didn't know much about them, and figuring out the the best way to help our clients. So we 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 pivoted two ways. Well, that's uh, an amazing service that you guys provide because um, as a business owner, that was. Uh, it was hard to navigate all that and having, you know, I happen to have a, a friend who is in banking, so he was able to provide that uh, guidance, but that, but the first time around, especially there was two rounds of the PPP yes. loan. Yes. The first time around was, a, it was a nightmare trying to figure out what was best and, you know, what was available. And so that's a great, uh, that you guys are currently out there to provide resources for any business startup at whatever age. And so I'd like to kind of pivot in now with our, it's like, what, speak to the young student um, who may be 16, 17 years old in your place and you're in the place of your father. And you're not just telling them what kind of engineer, but but they're they're needing some guidance. They're needing some inspiration. They're needing like, you know, tap into that uh, their gifting and talent, what would you say to them um, how to get going? What would be the kind of the, the first step that you would have them take? And I would tell them that they should look at their skill set, sit back and say, what am I good at and what don't I like to do? And make a list of the goods and the bads. Uh, I would also tell them to talk to the guidance counselors at their high school, which was not something I did. I, I'm not even sure we had them at the time. So, you know, that's a fabulous resource because they know where the money is. They know where, uh, the, what colleges are accepting, which colleges are the best for different kinds of, of occupations. So those would be two things. And then I think most importantly is whatever direction you think you're going to go, find somebody uh, like you, like me, that can get them some time sitting down with people that actually do it and finding out what it's like. And and people who are in college, something uh, that I learned was that Cal Poly figured out that they were graduating women engineers, but then they just there was no support system once they graduated. So, you know, that would be something that would be very much of interest to me, um, knowing that uh, I had a support system after college too. So look at all the support systems that are available for you. Understand what the job entails or what the jobs could entail. Hopefully you'll be able to make them somewhat in your own image when you go out there. But I, I think those are the main things that I would say. What about somebody who's 19, 20, and they're, they've got a business idea? What would, what would you say to them? Ah, fun. Uh, 
I would say, come to score, absolutely. Let's talk it through. We never tell you no. We ever, absolutely tell, never tell you no. We ask questions when you tell us, well, you know, I want to start this business and I need $3 million to start it. Well, okay, let's talk about that. You know, what kind of money do you have saved? What kind of experience do you have in the business? Because the banks are going to want to know about that. And start more slowly if you can. Yeah, you know this this jumping in and and assuming you're going to run a big business right away is a nice dream and it should be you should be uh, trying to get there but start very slowly I think uh, you know find out if you like it you know it could be that you start your dream and you find out oh I didn't really know I had to interface with customers and they're not very friendly sometimes forget it <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> How does somebody get a hold of you as and or score? And you guys are virtual now, or are you actually? Because it used to be at the Santa Maria Business Development Center, weren't you? And we were, and then we we moved an, a lot because we originally depended on donate donated space, and then we went out and started talking to banks about would they support us? And so we had some money to pay for rent. So Santa Maria Business Development Center was our first paid rental gig. So that was that was interesting. Um, and then we moved to a, a shared office with a farmer's insurance agent. And that, that worked out very nicely. We had our own enclosed space. Nowadays, we're saying, all right, if we go back to... Uh, in-person mentoring, we're going to look at places like where you are currently broadcasting from mm -hmm. and look for spaces because we don't we don't mentor eight hours a day, five days a week. You know, we try and be flexible for the clients. So um, that's... Would they go to the website or would they go to uh, your, your just email you? How, how would uh, SanLuisObispo.score.org. There we go. And Very we'll put that in the show notes. Good. Um, yeah. Good. We'll, Thank we'll you. Get Thank links you. in your email and for and sure. And also our email is info at slowscore.org. So both of those are good ways to reach us. Carol Kerwin, thank you so much for coming in today. What a fascinating interview. I love spending time with you and getting to know you more. And um, just your story is 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 so encouraging and inspiring. Mm -hmm. And we... Um, I. I just uh, enjoy spending this time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. This has been a production of Social Clicks Digital Marketing. Visit socialclicks.com to see how you can get your business dominating on the digital street. That's socialclicks.com. A special thank you to our monthly mentor sponsor, Ed Carcary. General Manager at the new Fuego Hot Hits at 97.1 FM in Santa Maria, California. Thinking of starting your own business? Connect with Carol Kerwin and the team of SCORE Business Mentors at sanlosobispo.score.org to schedule a free and confidential business consultation. That's sanlosobispo.score.org. This episode was written and directed by Kevin Colton and produced by Tim Motter. To become a sponsor of The Impulse Forum, visit our new website at theimpulseforum.com. That's theimpulseforum.com. 
Now take the next step. Pursue the pulse today. Today.